0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Chef's Meal, where we talk about whatever and never and everything else in between. All right, guys, again live coming at you on a special occasion of the Chef's Meal, all the way out from Oregon, and we're talking about he's he's up at Brighton Early at it, Mr. Andy Imhoff. Is that Dimhoff. a your name? Imhoff. Oh, no. Ooh, I was I was 50, 50 uh, I was gonna say <laughs> Imhoff, but you know how it is. So. Um, welcome to the channel. We here at the chef's meal, uh, we, we like to talk about food. You're obviously, uh, in food also. Um, what exactly do you do with food? If you don't mind asking?
1: Well, so I'm, uh, the stereotypical home cook. I like to cook things and, uh, we do our competitions once in a while. And, uh, of course I have my own podcast It's called pardon my fork. And, uh, actually we're getting ready to launch a new podcast here real soon. It was commissioned by, uh, an online radio station called uh, small batch and that's going to be strictly spirits and, and drinks related. But, uh, pardon my fork, we started doing because I had a show called boost booze and barbecue. And it was basically, mm. you know, my three favorite things. It was food, cars, and alcohol. And we had a lot of fun with that. It was a really good time. We ended up having to break a food show off of that because the food stuff was just I don't know, taking over, man, we started having some big names and food on the show and people wanted to hear the food content on its own. And so uh, instead of just doing the special episodes, which I called pardon my fork anyways, over Mm -hmm. we decided to just break it off. And man, it's just been like a rocket ship to the moon ever since.
0: There you go. It's all about the food. I I say Mm -hmm. it's always food first and then everything else after that.
1: That's right. You know, going to the World Food Championships this past year really helped us out a lot, both professionally and personally. It gave me a lot of insights into, you know, the larger world of food sport and food competition, because that's a I don't know if you or any of your listeners have ever been. But when you're in that big tent, that kitchen arena, and there are 150 other people in three man teams that are all cooking, it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. I know um, we do that. It's called in the kitchen, your brigade. So it's essentially, essentially the same thing, but you guys are doing it in a live setting. So it's, you know, I get it. I absolutely get it. So here at the chef's meal, um, we talk about primarily food and stuff. But since you are, and when you say competition, I just want to kind of clear that to everybody. You are in the barbecue
1: competition. Well, I've done some barbecue competitions. That's kind of where I cut my teeth. But uh, at the World Food Championships, we were actually in the burger category.
0: Got it. So typically burgers and stuff. But you're still barbecuing, essentially. And-
1: yeah, got, it's it, got it, got you it, got You and I set this thing up kind of last minute, and uh, it's funny off air. Just a little tidbit for your listeners: I was late joining the party because uh, I was running out to my truck to get something, and I walked past my smoker, which I have had rolling since six a.m. because I put a country ham on it, and I noticed the temp spiked, and I was like, mm-hmm. "I," to <laughs> you real quick, and said, "I'm sorry, man. You got to give me like five more minutes."
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I know all about it. Uh, the smoker. I don't necessarily smoke in a restaurant. But uh, I know you you have to monitor the the temperature and just the amount because any any fluctuations will actually mess with the end product. So I absolutely I understand. Not a big deal.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you just kind of have to keep it in the back of your mind, and I, I mean that's what. I don't know. I would say that a lot of chefs, that's one thing that that they need, and what makes them good is that attention to detail and being able to manage their time, wouldn't you say?
0: Mm, absolutely. It's all about time management, especially when you um when you are in the in the exact position or the suit position or whenever you get to management, you are trying to tell your cooks to be as efficient as they can to push out the food as properly and on time as everything else is coming up on the window and then we can sell it all in one go. So time management is key and then speed and efficiency will be number two on that list, but let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah, So why, why did you start a podcast? If you don't mind me asking.
1: Well, it was something that I always wanted to do and I hate to admit this to you guys, but it was something that I was waiting for someone else to start and then for me to join in on. And, uh, Finally, I just was like, well, here's what happened is I parted out my old race car. Um, Some parts were broken on it that were real hard to find. And so it had sat for a little while and I figured, Mm. you know what, instead of dumping more money into it, I'm just going to sell it, part it out and, um, you know, start this other part of my life or see where it goes. Right. And so I parted the car out. Um, Of course, I was depressed and I had this cash laying around and I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to start a podcast. I think it's time to just go ahead and do it and let's do it right but since i'm such a cheapskate you know i i went through and i did i don't know months of research and bought all of the the things that i thought i would need and i shopped for the best prices and then the world of podcasting is much like uh, the world of barbecue you get all this stuff and then at a certain point you realize i never needed all that stuff i could have done it with all this other stuff mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> so you know my setup has evolved but uh it's it's one of those things where I don't know. I just I got into it and I really dove headfirst into it, and it is just something that I've really enjoyed. You know, I started my first show. I had a hard time hanging on to a co-host, and I'll be honest, that first show that I started, it was really a variety show and mm. not something that I could do by myself. And it just wasn't as interesting with guests. And so when I started part my fork, I set it up in such a way where. It could just be me. It could just be me running through highlights. It could just be me with a guest on. Fortunately, I don't think I've done a single episode with no guest. I mean, people have been very gracious with their time about coming on the show and talking to me. I've had chefs. I've had world food champions, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I had the honor of doing the first uh, in English interview with the world barbecue champion, who's from Germany. Uh, Oliver oh, wow. Feeders. Yeah uh, had a lot of fun talking to him and it was, it was quite an honor for me. He did, he did a great job, but you know, he appreciated that I kind of took things a little bit slower and, and you know how it is when you're podcasting, especially if you're editing your podcasts or having them edited. Um, you can have a little more leeway there, I guess you might say, Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, yeah. It's been a, it's been a really interesting ride. And then, um, you know, the the booze side of it, like I said, has really started to pick up. Um, we're about, I want to say, six weeks away from launching that show because I'm putting some in the bank. But the people on Small Batch Podcast are going to include um, the director of the um, maturing... Oh gosh, director of matured matured stock i think is what his name is from ardbeg he's going to be on my show um the only Baijo distiller in the united states we're going to have them on Uh, a handful of other just really interesting people i've got a, a fella who invented a rye grass whiskey not a rye whiskey but a rye grass rye grass and he's got a fascinating story. He started in the biofuels world and stuff happened and, and funding was lost and corn and kind of took over. And he was like, well, What do I do with all this technology that I developed? Well, obviously I need to go out and make booze with it, right? He's <laughs> <So laughs> got a really fun story. And I don't know, just just a handful of, of other people were we're having a really good time over there and talking to some really interesting folks, it's kind of shocking who comes out of the woodwork when you say, hey, uh, I would really love to talk to you. Do you have a minute? It's amazing to me how forthcoming most people are.
0: Yeah, I mean, most people would like to share this story. Most people would like to talk about their product. Most people would like to talk about what they're passionate about. So as long as you're kind of in the same realm, passionate about what you're doing and sharing your passion, I think everyone is uh, it's a win-win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, essentially, you you said Oregon, right? So that's way out in the West Coast. I'm all the way in the East Coast. Have you have you gone anywhere else besides Oregon? Are or are you born and raised?
1: I'm born and raised, but we've traveled some. You know, um, not all that many states. I have a lot of states that I would like to visit, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, I just I've traveled for either traveling for business or traveling for competition. That's pretty much it. <laughs> nah, I got you. Because
0: like whenever whenever I see somebody like on competition or in those kind of um, you know barbecue pitting, uh, as they say, uh, it's always usually out west. You know, it, you don't see it too often here in the East Coast. Um, it's not that it's rare, but it's n- not how many people do it. They they're more essentially food trucks. Um, if anything, you know, so to, to have somebody, um, that's what you're doing. It, it's really kind of cool and interesting at the same time.
1: I appreciate that. My friend, uh, Portland, yeah. I, I shouldn't say Portland, Oregon in general is, is becoming mm-hmm. kind of a food hub. I, it I, is I Portland because everybody knows Portland. However, I warn you, Portland is not Oregon. Portland is like its own little, um, Polar opposite of Oregon. Oregon's oh, yeah? more of the agriculture.
0: So you're ta- you're talking about like a, a city inside of greenery, essentially. Yeah.
1: Yes, exactly, exactly. Oh, so wow. it's it's a little bit of a difficult thing when I talk to people because I say, "Oh yeah, I live in Oregon." And they're like, "Oh yeah, no, I've seen Portland or I've seen Portlandia." Mm-hmm. Like, no man, and you're man. like,
0: "No, that's not it." <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's actually a lot of fun talking to people, uh, when they first come here. Right. And like they land in Portland and they're like, okay, yeah, this is exactly what I was expecting. And then they drive maybe, I don't know, 20 miles out of town, 30 miles out mm. of town. They start seeing sheep and cows and mountains. <laughs> and <corn. laughs> and they are like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> uh, famously, my, uh, father-in-law who has uh, passed away, unfortunately, he, um. he literally, um, he showed up and, and he was like, man, this is not what I was expecting. He was from New York. And I said, what were you expecting? And he said, I don't know. My, like in my mind, I just I saw trees that ended at the ocean. I, I didn't know what the report of the was. Like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's huge. It's, it's a pretty big state.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So yeah, where I'm at the Willamette Valley. And surely, you being a chef yourself, you surely know the Willamette Valley because we have some of the best wines, some of the best peanut. Noir. Yes, you
0: do. I know. It is so good. I, I My wife and I are actually going to take a trip um, it, really soon. Uh, we're going to take a, a car here to Jersey and, you know, wing it all the way down over there. And we're actually going to end up in uh, Portland. We're going to lay over a couple of days there. But I'm all interested about the foods. So we've picked out spots you know, along the way and eating away at everything, because I want to try everything, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but Portland's going to be, oh, it's going to be a treat altogether. I can't wait, it's going to be good.
1: It's going to be fascinating. I think you're going to enjoy it. You wouldn't want to live there, but it's fun to visit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to live there. Now, in terms, of, um, in terms of agriculture and everything else that's happening over there, what do you say compared to like the city? You know, like Portland or like if I were to uh, compare where I live in Jersey, uh, we are treated as like a bedroom for New York because we're literally I'm about like 25 minutes away, a bus ride to go to the city. So all the city folks that work there usually, you know, reside here uh, on this part of Jersey and uh, kind of travel over. What do you feel about um, where you're located and how does that affect you? in terms of like the cooking and your, your, your work, et cetera.
1: There is some of that. There's, there's definitely quite a bit of that. What Mm -hmm. ends up happening is, well, I I can tell you like right now where I live, I I live in a a small town or at least it used to be small. And we moved here right, like right as it was starting to take off a little bit. And that's only been a couple of years ago. And Mm -hmm. it's just one of those kind of, um, I don't know, a weird thing, I guess you might say. So we find here in Oregon that if you have a university, the town springs up around that. And I think that's pretty common anywhere. We have a... medical school here in town, they built a new hospital, they built a new hotel and it's just blown up. Like literally my house has gained a hundred thousand dollars in equity. It's, it's ridiculous. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, good news, bad news because everything is getting a lot busier and mm. uh, the road that I live on has become a busy road, but you know, it's, it's the trade off, right? Hey. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of – you're you're doing a little bit of apples to oranges here, my friend, and I'll tell you why. The Willamette Valley is so fertile, and it's so popular to be in, and mm-hmm. we have a huge concentration of the population all along the uh, I-5 Interstate Highway, which runs down the Willamette Valley. Uh, that's mm-hmm. basically the highway that you would take from – vancouver washington crossing over the river all the way to southern california and it runs right through that valley and so we are about an hour away from the coast here and we're about an hour away from the high plains uh deserty kind of region which is uh, eastern oregon and so we have quite a, con- a concentration uh, sorry a concentration <laughs> excuse me it's early. I need my coffee.
0: It's uh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we've, we've got our concentration of the population, you know, here in, in the Willamette Valley. And for the most part, yes, I mean, we're, we're a little bit of a, a bedroom community like where I live. And you do have a lot of those around Oregon. It's hard to avoid that. But when you go uh, east... Or when you go to some of the sleepier little towns along the coastline where it's just speckled with these little tiny towns because they're basically carved into the rock. Uh, that, mm. That's where you kind of find it's not so much that people are living there and commuting elsewhere to work for a ton of money. It's that those smaller areas have their own industries. You know, they, they yeah, can yeah. have logging or they can have a quarry or, um, you know, we've got... Let's see here. We've got two or three of the five, four or five titanium foundries. Maybe it's that we have two of the three titanium foundries in the United States mm-hmm. Just here, like within 20 miles of where I live. Um, we wow. have a place called National Foods. They do all the freeze drying for like military MREs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is actually quite an industrial hub where i'm at but then we also have the oregon state university just 20 miles away and so it's it's i wouldn't say that we're in a in a bedroom community exactly because people have to commute around just to just to get whatever they want to get you know
0: oh i got you i got you
1: yeah so so driving here is not really a it's not exactly the same as living in Texas. You know, we're not driving 90 miles one way just to go grocery shopping, but Mm -hmm. we can drive here. We don't have any problems uh, making the drive here. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely do. Now let's, let's talk about more about food now like that. Now I got to kind of pick your brain and your background. Now, absolutely you BBQ. That's, that's kind of your, your bread and butter, but what exactly do you like to put? Like if I said, Hey Andy, Uh, Give me your favorite meat that you're smoking and let me know what you put in it.
1: It's got to be heritage breed pork. I actually like to keep it pretty simple. Salt and pepper, onion, garlic. I like to do it over um, a hotter-ish grill. You know, Mm -hmm. pork you're not going to leave the kind of rare that you'd leave a steak. But these days, 145 is an acceptable temperature. to, to 135.
0: 135 for me is the kicker. I don't like it. Any- yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 145. I mean, yeah, it's essentially it will be like a medium ish, but I like it just before it gets to it. So I'll stop cooking at 135, but keep on going. I'm sorry. You had me a pork and I got really excited.
1: <laughs> it's no, it's no problem at all. It's no problem at all. Uh, another buddy of mine that's a chef. He always tells me that I cook all of my meat to medium rare plus. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is the most pretentious thing you could ever say? Like, never, go into a restaurant and ask the chef, "Oh, cook it medium rare plus." That's when you get a well-done steak.
0: <laughs> However, if you do go to um, like an actual steakhouse, they they would appreciate if you did say rare plus, mid rare plus, because they would actually gauge it uh, really? for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like over here, at, uh, where we live, there is a um, there's a steakhouse really popular, and they're corporate, but Capital Grill. Uh, and I think they're in the east coast uh, and the west coast too but they serve the prime cuts also and you you pay a premium for it but if you said um, I want the, the filet mignon uh, rare plus or mid rare plus they will absolutely get it to you at that temperature because they, they know the absolute quality of the product that they have and they're not going to think anything of it um, other than you know you knowing what you want to eat but now here's where it kind of it kind of settles in you can't you can't try to be pretentious. Like, they will know if you're just kind of bullcrabbing. You're mm-hmm. like, yeah, whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Whatever you say. But if you're like, you know what? Uh, would it, would you mind if I can get this mid-rare plus? I know you guys have uh, an awesome steak. And then you pair it with a duck horn. Oh, shout out to Oregon. Um, you know, that Pinot Noir.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Which is
0: one of my absolute favorites, by the way. It's such a good wine. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry. I keep... I keep I keep um, cutting you off there on your pork
1: uh, recipe. No, please. Hey, that's the thing about food is it's the the universal language that we all speak. And so we all get excited. Mm-hmm. About it. But okay, so I'll, I'll finish this up here. I'll finish this up. All right. So uh, I like my, my pork chops done. I like them to be a heritage breed pork. Again, just S&P, little onion, garlic. Um, I will take half a head of cabbage. I throw it on my grill and just char the mm-hmm. outside. And then, of course, I grab my cast iron and uh, throw it on the grill. Uh, chop, do a, do a rough chop on that cabbage. Throw mm. it in the pan with some goat butter. I like goat mm. butter a lot because it has a little bit of that chevra flavor to it.
0: Yes, it does.
1: And actually, I'll do like half an onion in there with with the half a head of uh, cabbage. And mm. I'll tell you what, man, it's a simple meal, but it's one of my all time favorites. As a matter of fact, it's one of the earliest things that I cooked for my wife. And so now it's kind of uh-huh. staple in our household. It's just, it's one of those favorite meals that we make. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, but just quintessentially, like if I was over at your house and you weren't home and I was hung over and I was trying to make myself <laughs> food and it was whatever I wanted, that would probably be my go-to.
0: Ah, all right. That's what's up. I mean, I mean, my podcast is called Chef Salty Pork. And for a reason, I'm, I'm Filipino, so I'm born and raised. But our cuisine revolves around pork. So anything you, when you say pork, I'm there. You know what I'm saying? I don't <laughs> even care what it is. You said pork, I'm there in 20 minutes. Let's make it happen. Like, I'm yeah, so excited man. about pork. It's so good.
1: My ribs are something that I I work on tirelessly. Like I am I am meticulous about my ribs. And mm-hmm. whenever we're doing any kind of functions, doesn't matter if it's friends or family whenever we're going somewhere and they ask me to cook, it's always two things. It's always ribs, pork ribs mm-hmm. and pork butt.
0: Yeah. Oh, you had me a pork man. Yes. This is, I'm salivating. Like I'm hungry.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's already 1115. I'm probably going to make a pork sound a little bit.
1: Hell yeah, dude. I keep you know, wanting I... to get some Buffalo. It's not bad. Have you ever, have you ever had Buffalo? I have, I have, or I shouldn't say buffalo, sorry, bison. We have two bison, bison farms bison. here in Oregon and I've, I've been dying to just get like uh, four or five ribs, the big, you know, brontosaurus ribs and do them on my uh-huh. small.
0: Yeah. We, uh, it's more frequent here the bison burgers, not necessarily the ribs or the, the prime cutter or anything. Um, but if you're not used to that game, it will throw you off ever so slightly, but it's still so delicious. It's unctuous. That meat is good. See,
1: I like the gamey, though. I mean, I I've like got the game-y rabbits too. in the freezer. I've got mm-hmm. ducks in the freezer. I, I like that extra little kick of something, something. I, I like food that makes me think about what I'm eating.
0: Yeah, well, most people well, most people are used to that. Like, you being in, uh, out in the West. I mean, I grew up in the Philippines where we had to hunt for some, some of our food, too. And that game is there. And you can tell it and you can feel it. But for... People that are pretty much raised in a city, etc., or not necessarily have the outlet of being in a the country, they don't know what game is. So for them, they're like, um, what is that flavor? I'm not used to that.
1: That's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fact. You're right. You're 100% right there.
0: Now, what do you absolutely refuse to eat? Let's get into some food Q&A here, if you don't mind.
1: This is the silly one. It's It's not that I wouldn't. Ever eat it. it's that uh-huh. I can't. Um <laughs> so about gosh, what's it been now? 17 years ago. Oh I was, wow. I was bit by a lone star tick and uh started developing all kinds of crazy health problems. Oh uh, gained a ton of weight, um, was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, like all this kind oh, of stuff. Wow. Um, of course, uh, you know, the doctor that I was seeing was just like, well this is kind of your life now. I mean, they didn't put it that way, but, but that's just the way it was, you know, my wife, uh, is actually a chiropractor. Um, I should say a chiropractic physician. She went through a little more schooling than that, but, uh, she just basically said something's not right here. We need to do more tests. And Uh shockingly, she was the one that said we need to do a food allergy test on you. And and my Uh primary care physician kind of poo pooed it, but, We went ahead and scraped the money together. We were young, like we were. We were just together, and hardly had any money, of course. And Mm -hmm. uh, but we scraped the money together. It was like three hundred bucks to have this comprehensive food allergy test, and it came Mm -hmm. back as severely, severely allergic to beef and lamb. What? Yeah.
0: Wow. I am sorry.
1: Well, you know, it's just one of those things. So I haven't eaten beef or cow for (laughs) lambs. or lamb in uh, yeah, like fifteen years because it took a little while yeah. to get everything figured out. Um, I'll I'll uh, get it once in a while accidentally. I'm I'm a lot better about it now, but you know, ten uh, years ago, I was a little bit more lackadaisical. and um, but when I, I always knew the instant that I got even just a hint of it, because my hands would swell up, I'd get a uh-huh. migraine, um, my whole body would ache like, and it would be it would be like a three week thing just from. I don't know. Getting you know a buttered bun.
0: Yeah, I mean that's why I said that's why I keep telling people everybody should eat pork. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, no one's allergic to pork. I mean, sort of. I mean, I don't. It's not that it's really uh, common or anything, but you will often hear the daily uh, the dairy allergies in a restaurant or maybe some uh, some of the game stuff. But and here's a little fact for you. I don't know if you need this. Um, 90% of humans are actually in the world population are allergic to dairy. Like essentially you're not essentially you're supposed to eat like beef because it's not good for you. Like yeah. there's there's adverse effects to your body of dairy and cow products because it's not supposed to be for consumption. But, you know, I get it. That steak is inevitable. It's so juicy. It's so good. But there's, there's definitely alternatives to that beef.
1: Well, not getting too political on you guys but i i do think that the things we've done to our food in the last 50 years has contributed in a big way to a lot of this oh yeah absolutely so that's kind of my whole thing like when i do eat meat i try to make it i don't know local farm raised yeah some some kind of heritage blah blah i mean you can't all the time obviously but Mm -hmm. we we keep our freezer packed full of local meat Is it more expensive? Yeah, it is. Um, But that's also why we raise our own chickens and ducks, and we have our own eggs, and we have our own meat birds, and we do eat a lot of that as well, because you have to find Mm -hmm. a way to supplement if you're going to eat that way. But it's like a a person making a choice to go vegan. We've made the choice to go as close to home as possible with everything that we eat. So it's one of those things that's just, it was important to me, it was important to my wife, and... Honestly, I feel like we're eating healthier than we ever have right now because we've taken this stance.
0: Because, mm-hmm. I mean, essentially there's no food better than food that is made and raised by your own hands. Like we here, here in my house, we, we grow our own uh, veggies or actually at least try to. It's essentially hard because it takes a while. Mm-hmm. Our, our own produce and stuff, uh, we take it. Uh, none of the products in, the, uh, in my building, at least in, in my apartment, Um, have beef or dairy. Everything is outsourced to uh, the local grocers. And in terms of like eating, however, I have an 80-20 rule where we're 80% like plant-based and 20% everything else. So I have to have my pork. I can't just not have it because it's part of my being and I love it. Um, But switching to that kind of style and too much to your point as long as you're staying true to it and you know exactly what's going into the food that you're eating, you're essentially going to be a much better person on the inside because what you're consuming is better.
1: Yeah. And it makes you feel good too. Knowing It makes you that- feel great. Yeah. Uh, like, for example, OK, I, I have a scramble here. I'm going to eat it after we're done with this episode. But it's got kale out of our garden. It's got onions from a local farm. It's got ham that i made myself and it's got mm-hmm. eggs from our chickens
0: it's so good that is so ideal
1: i just i feel better about eating it that way you know what i
0: mean mm-hmm. absolutely nothing better than to have food that's you that you've raised and you've taken care of and you know exactly what's going on there. it's so good oh
1: hang on hang on i actually have to correct myself kc because these aren't chicken eggs these are duck eggs
0: Duck eggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, here's a question for you. Have you ever had balut? Do you know what that is?
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, you can add two things to the list of. Food <laughs> <one> ever-
0: <laughs> that's a, it's a Filipino delicacy where we take, not necessarily unprocessed, but that's the term that we use right before the duck egg hatches, you then stew it. And you pretty much eat every innard inside of it. And essentially, it's one of the healthiest things you can do. But it's the weirdest thing because you're eating a baby duck.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm sure it is one of the the best things you can eat, one of the best things for you and all of that. But uh, I got to get it past my eyes, man.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. Um, Not too many people are keen to that kind of thing, but it's... It's one I was raised with, so for me, that's you know like a, a normal occurrence of anything than you know than not.
1: But well, that makes sense. Uh, it actually took me a little while to where I could get to the point of eating squab. Uh, as oh, silly yeah. as that sounds, but you know, I I feel like that's one of those steps a little closer to being able to eat balut. I I finally got okay with eating squab because a lot of times, especially if it's a small enough or young enough. Squab, which is a, a pigeon or a dove or, or something mm. else in that family, you know the bones are are tiny and hollow. Tiny. And so a lot of times you eat the bones as well. Mm. So that was kind of a leap for me. You know, once I once I started first kind of getting into that, you know, it was mm. hard. And I'd pick around the bones, I'd eat some, but then I'd pick around them. And now, of course, I can just gnaw through them. But uh, yeah, I, I think that that's kind of a stepping stone to balut. <laughs>
0: It's always a weird question to say to people if you've ever heard of it or have eaten it because uh, most reactions are like, "Uh, no, (laughs) that's kind of weird.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to look, man, if I'm at some five star um, or or a Michelin starred restaurant and I'm (laughs) sitting down with the chef and he's making me whatever he feels like making me, you know, within reason. And he hands me this balut that he's made. I'm probably not going to turn it down. Um, but there's definitely going to be a part of my brain that I have to shut off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally with you. Okay. A couple more questions. Have you ever eaten spam?
1: I have. I have eaten spam. Uh, The low sodium spam. I prefer not because I'm watching my sodium, but because I can then season it in a way that I want it to be seasoned and it won't be overly salty. Got it. Um, Barbecue spam is always a great way to go. Uh stir-fried spam is always a great way to go. And actually, you know what's fun is I discovered coconut aminos, and I've been oh. using coconut aminos instead of soy sauce for years now. I just like the taste wow. of
0: them. Look at you getting the, the terms and I was just about to expect you are you're actually the first one that said the vegan spam on all the podcasters I've interviewed so far. Really? <laughs> you're like, "What?" Yeah. It's not a normal occurrence. I'm telling you, it's um it's more like a it being in the Philippines, third world country, spam is so an abundance of, and it's a normal cuisine that we do. But it's not necessarily normal to city folks here in the East Coast. I mean, in LA, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of food trucks that serve spam, so it's kind of normal now. But unless unless you've been in situations other than you know your regular normal. Um, you wouldn't even think of spam as a, as a choice of meat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're the first one. You're literally the first one. And coconut aminos, if I can, um, if, you, if you are allergic to gluten or uh, have celiac disease, which just means your body cannot process the gluten proteins, uh, coconut aminos is the way to go because it tastes like soy sauce. It, yeah. it smells like soy sauce. It looks like soy sauce. It, it probably is soy sauce but it's made out of coconut and it's amazing. I have it here in my pantry also, I keep that on stock. It's amazing, it tastes great.
1: It does taste great, it's a little bit sweeter than soy sauce. It reminds me of, let's see here, what's the gluten-free soy sauce, tamari, right? Mm-hmm. It reminds me of sweet tamari.
0: If you've uh, if you've ever eaten in a, in a sushi restaurant, the uh, tamari is more accustomed to the dark soy sauce, so shoyu soy sauce. Uh, it's essentially, um, it's like not braised, but they've, they've reduced it enough that it's gotten darker in color. And then they've added just ever so slightly, uh, a little more sugar to it and then spiked it with sesame uh, oil. And that's what shoyu is.
1: Mm, mm. And that
0: is, that is tomorrow. Yeah. But I don't like the gluten-free stuff because I I need gluten.
1: (laughs) I can't. I cannot
0: stand. I cannot stand when people say I'm gluten free. I can't have this, and then they have a beer. That pisses me to no end. They have no clue what's going on.
1: A lot of people do the whole allergy thing. Just uh, they'll say they're allergic to it just because they don't want to eat it. Like Mm. I had a moment. This was four years ago, I think. I don't like doing stuff for my birthday. To be perfectly honest with you, I neither do. I. It's annoying. Yeah, there you go. Um, But I had agreed to do kind of this birthday thing. And they took me to a restaurant here in uh, Oregon. I eh, probably shouldn't name the restaurant. But anyways, they took <laughs> me to and I, I sat down. And the easy thing for me, you know, especially when I'm going out to eat, is to just order vegan. Um, mm-hmm. That way I avoid dairy. I avoid beef. I avoid all that, right? Sorry. So I sit down and I go, hey, uh, look at your hummus platter. If I leave the cheese off, is that vegan? And the guy was like, oh, yeah, totally. And I just looked at her and I said, now, hang on a second. I'm, I'm vegan because of a severe allergy, not because I'm a hipster. Can you uh-huh. double check that? And she was like, "Okay, oh, yeah, let me double check. Comes back in three minutes. N- yeah, no, it's not vegan. We put sour cream in it.
0: <laughs> yeah. A lot of people see I, uh, whenever we get in a restaurant and on my podcast, I actually take pictures of my, uh, my employees tickets. Cause it's so, it is so entertaining having all these allergies come in and I'm like, what? And, and you'll get a kick out of this. I had one. I had one guest said they were allergic to kale.
1: Allergic to kale.
0: Kale, yeah. And okay. that that exact moment that you're giving me right now is how I looked at that ticket. I'm like, um, yeah, okay. What what do they want? They just said they're allergic to kale, so they want everything else.
1: Uh, I cannot. Kale. I don't like yep. kale. Therefore, I am allergic to it.
0: Okay. Yeah. 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 That's exactly what I said. Oh, it's, uh, the restaurant is so fun. We have a, we have such a blast over there, but Mr. Andy Emhoff, do you, now this is the part where if you don't mind, if you can share us uh, where they can find you and everything else, all the avenues that they can listen to your podcast or any other social media that you have.
1: Oh, absolutely. My friend. So right now we're a little light on the social media. Um, facebook.com slash pardon my fork is where they can find that on Facebook. And the website of course is just pardonmyfork.com. And we've got everything up on all of the, the pod catchers, you know, iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, radio public on and on and on blah, 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 blah. They should be able to find us pretty much everywhere. And, uh, we're just, we're having a really good time over there. And, you know, your your listeners obviously are hooked into you. And I think if they put us in that number two spot, they're really going to have a great time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I like again, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for the last minute. I know it's crazy. I I just had I didn't manage to get to check my messages yesterday because I I I played a double at the restaurant. So I am not necessarily on my phone. So when I saw your message, I'm like, oh, I have time right now. So let me text you. And thank you again for your time. I, I, I truly appreciate it because I understand the, the, um, the concept of time. Like you're giving me 40 minutes of your time that you can actually do anything else besides talking to me. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, man, thank you. I've enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully we get to talk again real soon. Okay?
0: No, absolutely. Now, I'll make sure to, uh, to link Andy's stuff all in the description below so you can check out his podcast. Really cool things that he's doing. And he has some other venues that will be opening soon. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But like anything else, uh, Chefs Meal airs every Monday at 10 in the morning where uh, my buddy Sean and I, the sous chef, we uh, go about our days and our weeks in the restaurant. And then Chefs Meal on Thursdays at 10 in the morning Eastern where we talk about just like we're Andy Lee, where interviewing him and giving you an insight to everybody else. So thank you guys so much. And uh, we'll get to talking on another one.